Here's a story of a man's life that can honestly be titled 70 Years of Miracles. Now, the man who wrote this book, Richard Harvey, served the Lord in a variety of ways uh, throughout his years. He served as a pastor for some time. He served as a traveling evangelist. He served even as a college administrator. And uh, at the end of his life, or near the conclusion, he wrote out this, this uh, series of reminiscences, series of recollections. The story of his life was called 70 Years of Miracles. How about that? And essentially, each chapter is another story of a miraculous answer to prayer. That's pretty much all it is. Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. Now, obviously, I'm not intending to preach from this book this morning. I want to provoke your thinking, though. At the conclusion of your life, by God's grace, could the story of your life be titled 70 Years of Miracles? Now, in this book, we read some dramatic answers to prayer. A couple of times, his life was saved by divine intervention of God in a really dramatic way. But there are other stories that are more mundane. He tells a story of when he was a boy, he wanted a red wagon like the other kids had. But he grew up in a pastor's home. They had no money at all. He asked his parents, and his father said, there's no way we can purchase a red wagon for you. If you want one, you're going to have to pray. And that's the story he tells. Even as a little boy, he prayed for a wagon, and God literally sent him a wagon. It's an interesting story. Woke up the uh, local shopkeeper in the middle of the night who didn't even like his father as, uh, as the preacher in the town, and he came over to their house frustrated and said, I don't know why I'm here, but God told me I have to give you a wagon. As we're still at the beginning of this school year and this semester, more or less, I'd like to give you this challenge. What is your, the story of your semester going to be? A story of frustrations. Struggling through, barely making it. When you reach the end of the semester, you're going to look back and say, it's been 16 weeks of frustration. 16 weeks of human effort or 16 weeks of miracles. Now, I propose to you that that's what God wants for every single one of you. There's not a person in here who's exempt, that God's looking down from heaven and saying, well, I'd like to step in, I'd like to intervene in a lot of these people's lives, but probably not that one, probably not that one. No, of course not. Every last one of you should conclude this semester. Now, I'm talking to you at the beginning of the semester, but this is the time to think about it. Not after, uh, you know, a couple of months have gone by. What's your semester going to be like? And that really reminds me of the story of a woman here in Mark chapter 5. We'll be studying from today, Mark chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood. I think you've heard of her before. And here's a woman whose life was dramatically, radically changed. When, uh, she, when her life intersected with that of the life of Christ, and her life was changed forever, on this particular day she woke up, it was just another day, another one of those days. More pain, more suffering, more sickness that she was experiencing just like yesterday, and no doubt just like tomorrow. But then she met Jesus, and everything changed, and the whole rest of her life was a story of a miracle. Now here we are in Mark chapter 
uh, 5, and I'm going to read this portion just a little bit at a time, a few verses at a time. We'll make some, some basic observations from this text that I believe Mark, the gospel author, he's highlighting a few things for us. So we'll highlight those things in this sermon. And indeed, God the Holy Spirit, as he speaks through Mark, the human author, is highlighting a few points for us that he really wants us to remember from this story. We'll highlight those for you this morning. It's nothing complicated. Nothing you've not considered before, but I want you to think in the context of this school year, this semester, what is it going to be? The story, looking back on it, what is it going to be? Years of miracles, uh, 16 weeks of miracles in this case. Well, if you want to see a semester marked by miracles, there are a few things that you have to experience. And this woman's uh, experience for this woman's life illustrates that for us. That's what we'll see today. Now, here's Jesus. He's just crossed over the Sea of Galilee. He's in the area of the west side of the, or maybe the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee around the town of Capernaum, which Jesus had more or less claimed as his hometown during his public ministry. He meets a man named Jairus. You remember the story of Jairus? And Jairus is asking for a miracle, but that's not our story for today. Now, as Jesus is on the way to help Jairus, this woman encounters him. So verse 24, Mark chapter 5, verse 24. Let's read the first few verses, the introduction to this story. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, but was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus. Came in the press behind and touched his garment. Now these first few verses illustrate for us. If you want to see a semester marked by miracles, or indeed a life marked by miracles, the first thing you're going to have to see is impossibilities. You will have to experience some impossibilities. We would like to think that God's going to lead us through a rosy path and it's just all going to be rainbows and sunny days, but that's not the way it works. If you could see your path all clearly laid out ahead of you, where would be the need for trust? And if every day was a sunny day and you had life all figured out, where would be the need for faith? You see, it's in the moment of impossibility that you see answers to prayer, divine intervention from God. You see uh, faith exercised. Now look at the example of this woman. Look at her desperation. You have, to, you have to see some impossibilities if you're going to see a miracle. Look at this woman's desperation. How bad was her situation? Let's just illustrate visually like this. Let's go... Let's transition from difficult to impossible. Now, Mark describes her condition in the single longest sentence in the whole Gospel of Mark. You know the Gospel author of Mark. He gets to the point. He tells the story quickly. He gives you the essentials, and then he moves on. This is the longest sentence, what we just read here, in the entire Gospel. And he just layers one description after another after another to illustrate to us. This woman's condition is not just difficult. It was impossible. Follow me? Now let's think about this. The woman was sick. Raise your hand if you've ever been sick. Okay. So that's difficult. We've all experienced the difficulty of sickness, but she was sick with an issue of blood. We don't know the exact details. Some kind of internal hemorrhaging that continued and continued and continued. Now that's a desperate condition. What we understand about the culture and the religion of those days, this condition that she had, not only 
frustrating to her, not only very concerning to her physically, but it also cut her off from religious worship and normal social interaction with people. Do you understand me? So it held her back in a lot of ways, physically, but also spiritually and also socially. More than that, Mark says she had this condition for 12 years. Now that's a long time. This past summer, I was very sick for a couple of weeks, and it lasted, now that I look back on it, a pretty relatively short period of time. For a couple of weeks there, I was desperate. I was asking doctors. The doctors kind of shrugged their shoulders, sort of like this woman, and they said, well, you got to wait it out, and two weeks was a long time for me. I'm imagining what would it be like if that condition just continued and continued and continued, never stopped, no hope. Twelve years is a long time. Where were you 12 years ago? Twelve years is not a short time. Mark continues, he says, now she's not been uh, irresponsible. She's seen the doctors. She's seen all the doctors. But in all the time that she's seen all the doctors, she's not gotten better. She's not improved a little bit with the help of the physicians. What does he say? She got worse. And now he says, you know, I can't even go this far. It's so impossible. I can't even. Now Mark says, here's the conclusion of the whole story of this woman's condition. Not just sick. Sick with a very debilitating condition, a very limiting condition. Twelve years, she's seen all the doctors. Now she's spent all the money. Even if somebody shows up and says there's a, a specialist who's got the cure, go see him, she has the money. Her condition is not difficult. It's impossible. Now what I need you to understand today is that throughout the semester, if you want to see a semester marked by divine intervention, by the miracles of God in answer to your prayers, you have to experience impossibilities. You have got to get yourself out of the difficult and step into the impossible. You've got to realize day by day as you face the frustrations and limitations of every day and of your human condition and as you uh, try to pursue schooling here and you find it so, so hard, you have to realize it's not difficult, it's impossible. Now you think that's just one of those cute phrases that preachers will say, I'm telling you that makes all the difference. When you can look at your day and your schedule and say, God, this isn't just really, really hard. This is impossible. And God, without you, I can do nothing. And if I don't see some divine intervention, I will not make it. I have no strength on my own at all. That's the position this woman is. She is clearly in the realm of the impossible on this day. She knows it. She's not confused about it. When you pray to God, don't say, God, help me to struggle through today. You say, God, it's 100% you or nothing. You are my only option. I don't have a plan B. Now, God graciously allows in our lives, he allows us to experience situations, challenges, roadblocks in which we finally look up instead of down. We finally look heavenward instead of inward. We finally abandon our life of difficulty, characterized by prayerlessness, complaining, resisting advice, and all these kind of things, struggling through in our own effort, and we throw ourselves in desperation completely upon God. And then God can work. So in our lives, in our semester, we have to expect the impossibility. Would Lazarus ever have been raised from the grave if he had never died? 
Would Moses ever have seen the Red Sea parted if God had not led the children of Israel right up to the brink? Think of the words of Caleb. Right on the border of the promised land, he said, let us go up at once. We are well able to overcome them. That's the attitude of faith. In the face of an impossibility, you realize God's at work and God can do something miraculous. Number one, expect to see an impossibility. Number two, expect to see an obstacle. An obstacle. Now, this is different than an impossibility. Let me explain. God allows these challenges in our lives, which are opportunities for us to say, God, you have to do it. I can do nothing. That's an impossibility. But so often, the pattern in the Gospels is interesting. Some person who needs a miracle from Jesus has a problem in getting to Jesus. It happens frequently. There's some obstacle that's standing between that person and getting the help he needs from the Lord. Now, in this case, I believe, once again, that obstacle is highlighted for us very clearly. <laughs> Just as Mark, or uh, the Holy Spirit even, took a heavenly highlighter and highlighted the impossibility of this woman's condition. So you could not miss it. She's not in a tough spot. She's in an impossible condition. Now Mark is going to highlight the obstacle standing between her and Jesus. Verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. The word plague is something like a a scourge, that very painful condition. And Jesus, verse 30, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou, who touched me? Now we'll pause right there. Let me ask you a question. Make sure everybody's awake right now. In this story, as Mark presents it to us, what does Mark highlight as the obstacle that's standing between that woman getting to Jesus? What is it? The crowd. Some people say multitude, the crowd. He says it six different times in this short passage. The crowd, the multitude, the press, and then thronging. He uses this word thronging two times in this passage. It's the only place where this word appears in the New Testament. And Mark uses it here. It's a very strong word to indicate lots and lots of people <laughs> pressing around Jesus. Now, maybe you've uh, had a chance to visit in Israel. Maybe you've seen some of these ancient streets or maybe just photos. They don't have big, wide highways like Appleton Avenue. In those ancient times, the streets were narrow. So I can imagine Jesus walking along and Many, many people, hundreds of people interested in seeing him pressing close and just pressing up against him. Even if they weren't walking through a city street right at that moment, you could picture the scene, can't you? People were getting in the way. This woman had to be determined. No matter what it takes, she's going to press, what's the word, swim? Swim her way through this crowd just like this. Can you picture her? She's going to get to Jesus or, uh, you know, nothing. That's the only option for her getting through this crowd. Now, what's the application for you and me? You recognize in your life, facing school this semester, you've got some challenges that are not just difficult, they're impossible. God has to do something for you. Even today, sometimes we see obstacles getting in the way of us abandoning ourselves completely to God's grace. 
C.S. Lewis said this, he said in the time of Christ, it was the press, small p, that kept people from seeing Jesus. He said in modern times, it's the press, capital P, that keeps people from seeing Jesus. Referring in a humorous way to modern news media and things like that. But that, that, that could be the case even for some of us here. It could just be life in this world that's keeping you from total dependence upon Jesus. It could be that there's just a little bit of that worldly entertainment, that worldly amusement, that attachment to the world that you're not quite ready to give up. And you would love to have it both ways, but it doesn't work. You would love to say, I'll hang on to my worldly amusement and also have really dynamic time with God every morning. See divine intervention from the Lord every single day, but it does not work. Are you ready to give that up? Are you ready to press through that obstacle and say it's Jesus only? What did James tell us about the double-minded man? What did he say? He's unstable in, in, in how many ways? All his ways. And can you pray to God and say, God, I really need help from you, but I am not totally giving myself to you. Please help me. Please be mine. But I am not yours. Jesus also told us you cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon basically means money. And it's possible somebody in here still has a little bit of reliance upon money. Worldly success. You're not quite ready to let it go. You want to serve God, but you want to have a little security. It doesn't work. This woman said, I'm relying on Jesus and nothing else. Let me tell you this. If you're connected with the Lord and walking with Him, even if you have no good reliable job at all, God can give you all the money you need for anything that you need at any moment. Or you can choose to walk your own path and struggle through life all by yourself. Which is it going to be? Now we have to make a choice this morning. For some of us, even today, it might not be money, it might not be worldly amusements, but it might still be the crowd. What's keeping you from Jesus? It's the crowd. It's people. When an opportunity is given for a public invitation, you sit in your chair and you say, I don't need to respond because I can pray to the Lord right here in my chair. He can hear me. You know, that's absolutely true, but why do we even think things like that? I don't want to make a public decision for for the Lord. Why would that be so bad? Because of the crowd. We don't want to get things right. We don't want to make amends. We don't want to ask for forgiveness. We don't want to confess something to an authority. Why? Because of the crowd. One more time, I'll remind you, this woman did not care what anybody thought. She was past that. She was 12 years past that. I don't care who looks down on me. I've got to get a hold of him. Are you ready? To make that kind of desperate, dependent decision for the Lord today? Ready to give it up? Count the cost. It might cost you a little something. It might cost you a little bit of security to abandon yourself totally to the Lord. It might. It might cost you a little embarrassment. 
to make a real public decision for the Lord. It might, but you know you have everything in the world to gain. Count the cost. A whole universe of possibilities by God's grace and God's power. If you can just get past that obstacle. How about it? This semester you want to see a semester characterized by divine intervention. Miraculous answers to prayer. You have to see some impossibilities. You have to. It's required. It's not optional. Nobody here is going to see some miracles if you don't have any impossibilities. It doesn't work that way. You can expect to see some obstacles. It's going to be different from, from person to person in here, but probably each one of us is going to have a little bit of a holdback, a little bit of a hang-up. We've got to get past that obstacle. And finally, this is the point that is so essential, expect to see Jesus. Yeah, you're going to see some impossibilities, you're going to see some obstacles, but at the end of that road, you can expect to see Jesus. Now, this is the real critical issue that's at stake in this whole conversation. Some people get a little bit nervous talking about miracles. Are we allowed to say that word? Are we allowed to preach on miracles? I don't know. It's a new dispensation. Miracles. But it's the life of Christ that is at stake. When Paul said, I bear about in my body the suffering of Christ so that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in my body, in my physical life. That's what he's talking about. Something beyond his own limitations. Do you think you're supposed to live the Christian life based on your own human limitations? What you can do? Absolutely not. That's not the standard for Christian living. You can call it what you like. You can call it answers to prayer, divine intervention. You don't have to say the word miracle, but God's expectation for you is a whole lot bigger than your humanity. Expect to see Jesus. That's what this woman saw. I mean, that's who this woman saw. She met Jesus and her entire life changed. Notice what this text says. I want to highlight a couple of things here. Once again, that I believe the Holy Spirit and Mark, the human author, are highlighting for us. Okay, back. Pick up the story here. Back in verse 32, the woman had uh, found Jesus. She had got through the multitude. She had touched him. And Jesus is asking these questions. Verse 30, verse 31. Who touched my clothes? In all this great crowd of people. Verse 32, he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling. Now, she had reason to be alarmed. She had just touched somebody and made him ceremonially unclean. So maybe she was imagining that Jesus was going to be upset. Fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him, All the truth. That's the only way to pray. (laughs) When you're going to God in prayer and you really are desperate and you need help, you just tell Him the truth. I can't do it. I'm totally helpless. And He said unto her, verse 34, daughter. The only time in the entire Bible that it's recorded Jesus referred to somebody in that language. Daughter. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The phrase, go in peace. Also interesting. I'll just mention it. Incidentally, technically, literally, Jesus didn't say go in peace. He said go into peace. Implying that she had not been in peace before. The last 12 years, she's not been in peace. Even a minute prior to this, she was not in peace. And now Jesus said, your life from this moment on is going to be completely different. Go into peace. 
you've met me, and it's changed you and your whole life experience. From now on, you can live in peace. Now, what made this woman special? Can you tell me? That's kind of, in my own words, that's kind of what's at stake in the last half of this story. What made this woman special? How'd she get a miracle? I mean, who was she? Who was she? We know Jairus' name. You remember the fellow we just read about him right before this story? We know his name. We know he was a ruler of the synagogue. This woman wasn't anybody special. We don't even know her name. She was a woman. And I don't say that in a demeaning way. You know what I'm talking about. For her to, you know, press through this crowd and put herself forward and grab hold of Jesus' clothes, she shouldn't have done that. Who was she? Why did she get the miracle? What made her so special that Jesus is referring to her in such a personal way? Daughter. You and I. Special connection. How did that come to be? Now, Jesus asked a few questions, or at least one question, and I'll ask you the same question. On that day, in that situation, that scene that we just read, how many people received a miracle? How many? Class, how many received a miracle? One. Just one. How many, how, how many people in that scenario touched Jesus? Many. Hundreds, we imagine? Hundreds of people. That's the point. That's what Mark and the Holy Spirit and indeed Jesus himself, that's what they're emphasizing. How many people touched Jesus on that day? Hundreds? How many of them received a miracle? Just one. Now what saved this woman? Jesus' power or her faith? Which one? According to the Bible text that we just read, both. Both. Now we know the description virtue had gone out of Jesus and he is the one who had the power that made her, uh, that healed her. But then he said to her, your faith has saved you. So think about this. Of all the people in this room right here, how many have an opportunity to touch Jesus? Of all the people that sit in that auditorium on a Sunday morning, how many people have an opportunity to touch Jesus? So many people, hundreds of people are touching Jesus, so to speak. How many leave with that miraculous intervention? Jesus has all the power needed to meet your need. Whatever it is, he has all the power needed. The question is with you, do you have the faith to depend completely upon him? This woman did. She was desperate. She was determined. But finally, she found deliverance. Now this morning as we're sitting here in chapel, I want you to understand this. There is not a person in the world who has more opportunity than you have of getting hold of Jesus. i got to make that clear to you because I honestly believe there's probably some people in here who really, in the back of your mind, you think you're some sort of second-class prayer, second-class Christian. There's other people in the world who really have more opportunity to get a hold of the Lord than you do. That is not the case. Every single one of you, every last one, have the special privilege that this woman had. Every one of you can get a hold of the Lord. In conclusion, what is the story of this semester going to be for you? Well, it's really your choice. 
God honors faith. It honors Him. Look at the example of this woman. Did she have some kind of Old Testament scripture text that said, if you reach out and touch the clothes of Jesus, then He will heal your sickness? She did not. What did she have? She had absolute dependence upon God Almighty revealed in this man, Jesus of Nazareth. God honors faith that honors Him. And I hope in your college experience, I hope you never get to be so smart that you can explain away texts of Scripture and tell people why it doesn't work anymore. I hope you never get to be so educated that you can tell people why the Bible does not mean what it says. I hope as you study Scripture, you learn more and more about the God of Scripture and who He is and how He thinks. And you rely completely upon Him and on His character. I was preaching a few years back at another church, and not this message here, but another message that had a little bit to do with miracles. And a fellow came up to me after the service, and he was just uh, kind of surprised. He shook my hand, introduced himself. He said he comes from a charismatic background. And he asked me, he said, I heard you mentioning miracles as you were preaching. He said, are you sure you're a Baptist? (laughs) He said, my experience with Baptists has been they discount miracles. They don't want to talk about miracles. Well, you call it what you like. What is the character of God as he relates to you today? Does he want to do something for you, something special, something divine, something beyond your limitations in answer to your prayers? God honors faith that honors him. You've got some imbili- uh, sorry, impossibilities. You've got some obstacles standing between you and the Lord. Get past that. If you want to see him in his life, Manifest. You've got to be absolutely desperate and dependent, just like this woman was. In conclusion, here's a story from this book. One time, Mr. Harvey here was preaching. He was, uh, he was at a new church, and he was preaching in the Sunday evening services, a series on prophecy. And one Sunday evening, uh, he was going on and on, as preachers sometimes do. You know, He was enthusiastic about his theme, but the congregation was not as enthusiastic. And he noticed as he continued to preach, people were nodding. People were starting to bob their heads like some of you are right now. And people were beginning to to fall asleep, and he was losing the attention of people. And what he noticed most concerningly is that people in the congregation kept turning around and looking at the clock on the back wall. I know you've never done that, but some people in his congregation turning around. The whole time he's preaching, they're turning around, looking at the clock. And he eventually had had enough of it. People weren't paying attention to the sermon. And he just stopped preaching and he prayed. He said, God, stop that clock. And the clock stopped. Right there and then. And he had everybody's attention (laughs) for the rest of the service. And he said, the aisles, you know, were flooded. He gave an invitation. People hadn't been listening the first half of the message. People suddenly started to listen. People responded to the invitation. And then he said, for weeks after that, people came from the community all around to the church to see the clock (laughs) and to hear the preacher. He said he had to tell the custodian of the church, leave the clock alone. Don't try to fix it. God honors faith that honors Him. The story of your semester, what's it going to be? Are you going to wrap up your life telling stories of somebody else's miracles? 
Are you going to wrap up this school year telling stories about somebody else's miracles? I firmly believe that by God's design, it's part of your education. As you go through school year by year to face impossibilities. I don't write that into the program. We don't pencil it into the academic schedule, but God knows. You individually are going to face some impossibilities. What are you going to do? I believe this school is a body this year. We're going to face some impossibilities, some challenges. We know if God doesn't intervene, we can't do anything about it. So my heart, my burden for you, my vision is that every single student here at the conclusion of this semester would be able to look back and say, it's been a story of miracles. By God's grace, 16 weeks of miracles.